Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener on our private feed where you'll have ad-free episodes and join us in Zoom meetups to meet other listeners of our podcast community. Go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes. You have actual people answering the emails and actual people onboarding you, not just like a video of, hey, welcome to our community, but really having a human who's going to welcome you and kind of be the face of, you can have several faces of, but I think as everyone's trying to build community-driven businesses, it's it's really important to have someone thinking about it from the human level and not just as robots, quote unquote, building community. Three, two, one. My name is Esprit Devora, host of The Women in Tech Show. The show means a lot to me. The reason why I wanted to create The Women in Tech Show is I wanted to create a positive piece of content, something where people can listen and say, if she can do it, so can I. Hello, everybody. I'm Ulvia Giafferle, a data scientist in Italy. Although I'm living in Rome, originally I am from Azerbaijan. While thinking about how long it took for me to be a tech woman in the technology world, I felt the responsibility and desire to help other women as much as I can. Therefore, I developed the TechDevop platform to support others who want to achieve in technology. Because I believe women have ability to do great things. For us, sharing, helping, developing as one is the most important value. What I would like to emphasize is just do not afraid to fail, do not limit yourself with little success. Think bigger, learn, fail, repeat, experience, and reach the inaccessible. No matter how hard the challenge is, go for it. If not now, then when? LinkedIn presents. Welcome back to the Women in Tech podcast. I'm Danielle Farage, and I'm very excited to be here because, as I mentioned in my Why recording, I really am passionate about the future of work. I'm a Gen Z work futurist and advocate for my generation. I'm a LinkedIn top voice, and I'm excited to use my voice and also to use it to introduce new people I'm meeting in the future of work who are really shaping how we connect, how we communicate with one another, and how, at the end of the day, we work. And as, you know, I live in New York, I just got back actually from a three-week stint in Europe. I have been thinking about well-being and the importance of creating stillness in your day and getting back into routine and really what well-being means to me. Um, And so I wanted to bring something that came up in a journaling session (laughs) to all of you, um, that well-being for me is really about recognizing what I need and being selfish to take it. And that might mean communicating with my team that I need a morning to myself where I I have to take some some time off for some more sleep. It might also mean telling my friends this weekend that I can't hang out and that I need some time and space for myself. I'm super excited to introduce Jess Spivak 
who has become honestly one of my favorite people to follow in the New York VC startups community community. And she is currently the head of community at Hampton, which is literally one of the hottest membership communities for founders out there right now. Yes. And uh, I love that introduction. That totally resonates with me uh, with well-being, recognizing what I need and being selfish to take it. I think being in the community space, it's I try to provide people with those with those opportunities. Uh, but again, thank you for having me. And it's funny, as I was thinking about this conversation, if you would have told me 10 years ago, I would have been on a woman in tech podcast. I would have never believed it because I always wanted to be a teacher and I started my career in education. Um, I, in college, that was always the path that was going on. So I was an English major and a social work minor. So never would have, never would have thought I would end up, end up in venture capital like I am today, but taking a step back, as I mentioned, I started as a teacher and I did that for a few years. And unfortunately I just realized it was not for me, which was a really scary realization because I always wanted to be a teacher. I, and I never really explored other options. And so when I was thinking about what to do next, I just felt like I was totally starting over in my career. And I felt like the two years had been wasted and I had to take an entry-level job and and I had no idea what I wanted to do. And as I was exploring, it led me to the community world, which at the time, I didn't know anyone who was in community. It was super new. And it was when WeWork was becoming really popular. And so people thought of community managers really as like, Someone working at WeWork, uh, but I was introduced to uh, the role as a community manager at a nonprofit called One Table, which helps people gather around the table for Friday night Shabbat dinners. Uh, and it really opened up my world to the power of community and gatherings and being intentional about who you're spending your time with. Uh, it was an amazing, amazing opportunity. Uh, it was a super small team, so I wore lots of different hats, was super scrappy. And after about a year, I was ready for, for my next challenge. And again, was a little bit like, oh, my role is super specific to, to this nonprofit, to this role, um, and felt confused what I wanted to do. And through talking to a recruiter, I was introduced to a tech accelerator and ended up being hired as a community manager there. It's called Grand Central Tech, uh, which is a year-long program for pre-seed startups in New York, where all the startups are gathered for one year. Uh, it's they come in on the first day. It's typically just co-founders and the year with big teams. And it was an incredible opportunity for me to learn about startups and entrepreneurship and just having a front seat to these founders building. Um, every day I would get to come in and, and be inspired by these founders and just become friends with them. Uh, and so I was there for four years. While I was there, we raised a venture fund uh, called Company Ventures. So that really led me to the world of venture capital. It's an annoying thing to say to people who are trying to break into venture, but I kind of really did fall into it. And you know, so I was there for four different classes. So that was about 80 uh, different startups, which was, it was so much fun. And it was, it really showed me the power of peer to peer founder communities and, and continuing to learn and further further your skills through a lot of the workshops that we did in the community gatherings. And it was another type of role where it was a small team. I wore many different hats. So it, it was, it really was a platform role, what, what VCs call platform today, but it wasn't as popular in the term as it was, as it is today back then. So I was doing everything from marketing and events and content, um, had a really awesome team. 
And after four years, I was ready for for a new challenge and a and I was looking for more of a leadership role, which led me to my current role as head of platform at K50 Ventures, which is a pre-seed fund. We invest in US and LATAM founders building a better future for the 99% across the focus areas of health, finance, and future of work. And my role is really rooted in building out a peer-to-peer founder community. We have 180 portfolio companies. And so my role is to connect them and create opportunities for them to learn from each other uh, connect with each other and then providing resources and partnerships for them. And then I'm also responsible for, for the marketing initiatives for the firm. And it's, you can see a theme. It's, I, I consistently like to be on small teams wearing, wearing many hats. Um, and yeah, it's been, it's been great so far. I've been there for about two years. So awesome. I mean, just your path from, you know, teacher to being in tech or you know one table is like it is is it, it is a tech company but it's also really centered around gathering people and community and i just think that that's like such a beautiful transition from like teaching and and gathering in a classroom to like facilitating meetups between people who share you know religion and then to then go into you know the tech world and and supporting founders, it's like, it's almost like you never really stopped teaching. Exactly. I, I like to say that my role now in being in the community space is, is almost like being a teacher for adults. A lot of all the elements I loved about teaching, of working with people, of helping people, of really waking up every day kind of in service of others. I get that a lot in the in the community space. And it's something that I'm, um, it's, it's been amazing to see the community industry uh, become, become so popular and seeing all these different community roles popping up at startups and even big companies. Because even two years ago, when I was looking for a new role, th- there were not as many community roles at all, at all as there are today. And, and, you know, I, so we connected and when we connected, it was at a, sort of a secret society dinner that was hosted by, um, in partnership with K50 Ventures. And, you know, what stood out to me also when you were talking about what you were doing that night, I was like, wow, like, you know, head of platform is your official title. And it, it's something that I'm, I've been super interested in because I feel like it's, you know, it's a part of VC that really flies under the radar um, much like community building has for so many years. And it's now, I think, getting a little bit more shine. But for people listening, you know, could you describe what your average day looks like and like what, you know, head of platform really actually means? Yes. What One thing I'll say about the head of platform role is it means something different at every fund, which is which is interesting. You don't really hear a lot of roles that mean something different everywhere. And I kind of have this theory that in a couple of years, heads of platform won't exist because it'll be a lot more specialized. But for me, as I said, it's it's primarily focusing on marketing and community. But really, every day is different, which is something that I really like about it. I will say just on a personal level, I every day I try to do something in the morning, uh, whether it's getting outside for a walk or making breakfast or doing a workout. It's it's hard for me to just wake up and go straight to work. I need that mental headspace. Uh, but really, primarily, and it's in service of the founders. So whether I'm 
talking to founders, onboarding them into our community, helping them with with a question that they have, or just really ecosystem building. It's a lot of me meeting really interesting, smart people who can help our companies, uh, whether it's advisors um, informally or or formally, uh, meeting people to come in and give talks, um, networking with other funds who we can introduce our, our companies to. I'm typically always planning some sort of event. So thinking about about planning whatever whatever is coming up next. But I definitely there there definitely is no typical day, which is which is fun, um, sometimes crazy, but but it is nice. It's definitely never boring. It's almost like it almost sounds like the role of a founder, like it themselves, like the head of platform seems like, you know, wearing all the hats, making sure everyone is like, you know, good and like has what they need. It like almost sounds like a founder <laughs> position, like not gonna yeah, lie. It's, it's, <laughs> it, it's definitely, it's definitely busy. And, and I, I'm a team of one um, on a seven person uh, company team. So definitely, as you said, it's just many hats and I, it, it definitely has the elements of just executing and coming up with the ideas, executing, uh, doing everything from zero to a hundred. Um, definitely. I feel like hope, not as stressful as a founder, but it, it has its moments, but, um, no, it's definitely, I think I can, I can relate to, to the founders in the, the loneliness sense of being a team of one and, and kind of feeling like the, it never ends and not having someone to necessarily turn to on the team who, who gets it, who's doing the same thing, similar as, as to founders. I mean, what I've really learned from being surrounded by founders, especially at the earliest stages when they're so small and so new and, um, there's constantly things are moving really fast. There's always fire drills that need to put, be put out. Um, and, it's, it can be really lonely and isolating. And so having these founders communities and having founders who really are just your friends and who you could talk to about anything from uh, uh, HR or people challenge uh, or a challenge with your investor, or maybe you're looking for a new lawyer, you need to fire your lawyer and need, and need some recommendations. It's just really having other people that you get along with that you trust uh, it could really be extremely beneficial in saving saving time, money, and I think really sanity. Uh, it could be it's just it could be very lonely and frustrating, and and so really my goal is how can you create these connections among founders, really just as as humans and as people, because at the end of the day, you just want to spend time and and hang out with people that you like and get along with, and and then business comes comes second, and so really trying to create those unique experiences and opportunities for them to really become friends and and then the business will come come with that. I love that so much because I think so much of the business world takes away or has taken away the human side of business to say like, oh yeah, I'm here for work or like, oh yeah, I'm here, you know, on vacation. Like I feel like since the remote work era has really taken off this notion of work and life being, you know, something that you can't detach one from the other has really helped us like feel more, I guess, connected to the people that we're working with rather than just seeing them as, oh yeah, like you're a pro prospect, you're a potential partner, you're, you know, you do this or that. It's more about, oh, 
this person, oh, they're a really great person and therefore I want to lift them up and I want to maybe partner with them one day and maybe they'll even acquire me and I won't be mad about it. (laughs) And like I'll trust them to carry on the business, you know, ethically and responsibly and in the way that it was intended. Uh, I feel like that like I feel like that's really been something that has been missing from just business generally and also, you know, the tech industry <laughs> can sometimes be like brutal. I mean, you look at what ha- what's happening with Twitter just today with everyone getting laid off. That's not what we need. Like we need the human touch. We need like leaders who are going to come in and 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 recognize and support their employees. And I feel like it's just, you know, we need more of those. <laughs> exactly. So much of what, of what you just said resonates. And, and I think too, on the flip side, it's interesting to think about with remote work, how often you lose some of that human connection and that there are people like, I remember reading articles last year about people who started jobs during COVID, left during COVID and never even met their employees, employers in person or their teammates. And people are just much more willing to to leave jobs and and they just come to work, get their job done and and they don't have that human connection, which I think is which is why community is so important within companies, uh, across companies, something that has been super interesting for me during during COVID when everything went remote is all these online communities started popping up. And I met so many people because people were bored at home, we stopped running around. And so people were much more willing to hop on the phone and have a call to just chat about what you're working on and to connect. I think um, I probably had a little bit more, a more unique situation than others because I'm in the community space. And so community people are, are pretty nice and always willing to, to connect and talk to people. But it was just amazing. The, the friendships that I formed with, with folks who were doing similar work as me, uh, who were, that just wouldn't have happened really before COVID. It was kind of at least my experience, if you wanted to have a meeting with someone, often you would be in the same city, you would try to go to coffee, and it was just a lot more complicated, um, where now people are much more willing to hop on Zoom or hop on a phone call and be vulnerable where they otherwise may have may have not. Uh, and so I just met so many people who were willing to to give advice and share, and that just was so helpful for me as I started this new role of, of, of head of platform, which I started during during COVID and, and from home. And I had total imposter syndrome. When I got the job offer, I was not even excited. I was so anxious and freaking out. And, and um, it's, but I, I met all these people who helped me and gave me advice. And I just really had a team of one, I had to be so scrappy. And so I just wasn't afraid to ask for help, um, especially as someone who I, I try to always give help when, when I'm asked and always hop on the phone with people when they are looking for advice or, or to learn. And so people I just found were willing to do that in return, which was, which was amazing. And it definitely made the experience less lonely for me, which is what I've been trying to replicate for the the K50 founders as well. That's so beautiful. I think I went through a similar, a, a sort of a similar experience when I joined Cafe because, you know, they, they sort of were like, Hey, you know, similar situation, very small team. What do you want your title to be? And, um, and I was like, I want to you know, I want to communicate that like I'm a real big piece of this pie and like I am, you know, doing things and I'm like, you know, obviously, you know, so I came in as like a director of growth and marketing. And then once I had the title that I wanted, I was like, oh my God, like what? And I had, 
you know, I don't like to call it imposter syndrome because I don't think I'm an imposter, but I called it, you know, a weakness in confidence. And so, you know, doing a similar thing of like surrounding yourself with the right people, joining the right communities. I found serial marketers. I found the community club. I found uh, spots on Clubhouse where they were talking about marketing. Um, I did, you know, some some learning on my own. And I, I think that that really helped to, you know, strengthen my sense of confidence. And I think that like, honestly, probably a lot of founders and people listening go through the same thing of like, when you land that bigger job, I like to call it my big girl job. Um, you're sort of like, oh, sh there's this moment of like, oh, shit. But at the same time, you know, realizing that like, no one really knows what they're doing is a helpful thing to just keep in mind. Right. I got this advice mindset. Once you feel like you know what you're doing, it's time for a new job or it's time for a new uh, promotion or, or a new challenge because exactly what you're saying, everyone's kind of faking it till they make it. And if you read a job description and you feel like you could do everything, it's probably too junior for you. Right. Right. That's a good, that's a good point. I'm curious like to hear more about sort of these events and, and initiatives that you're actually putting on for founders. Like, can you give an example of like some, some sort of, you know, more intentional event that like you've done and maybe talk about like the impact of those? Yes. I'll, I'll share two that I'm, that I'm proud of. Uh, I'll start with the female founder dinners that I've been hosting, which Danielle, that's how we met. And I have to give a shout out to the amazing Stephanie Redliner. Uh, who is an incredible coach, facilitator, uh, a, a leadership visionary, really, for, for women. And I went to one of her dinners that she hosts for female leaders, and I was just amazed. And I was instantly drawn in, and I had to I had to get more of it. And so it, we've been partnering and doing these dinners for, for the K-50 female founder community and really the broader community of founders across, across New York. And really across the ecosystem. We've been doing them in New York, but any founders, if you're, if you're in New York and want to come, we're, we're, we're doing them monthly now. And really they're, they're very intentional and it's not just a dinner where you show up and you end up talking to the person sitting next to you. There's a lot of thought behind the group that we're gathering, even everything starting with the invite uh, kind of, we try to draw people in and get them excited. And really the goal is to help people form connections with one another and have a memorable experience. Uh, and so there's amazing questions that are asked and people really open up and people start to cry and, and laugh. And it's just really beautiful seeing people walk in and as strangers and leaving um, really as, as friends. And it's been fun talking to people who have gone to the dinners and seeing how they continue to connect with the people. And we're actually starting to now create this, this uh, digital community as well for the folks who have attended. And so to me, it's, and look, there's a time and a place to do, I think, just a dinner where you're sitting around the table with a big group, but those end up typically you're just, if you're just stuck sitting next to someone that maybe you don't get along with or, or for whatever reason, it's not the right fit, then it might not, it might not be as impactful if there's a, if there's discussion questions or maybe you get up and move around. And I always think about, uh, a book by Priya Parker, The Art of Gathering, which is all about the why and thinking about why are you gathering and what's the point and then, and then planning everything from there and really making it intentional. 
Uh, so that's something I've been been really proud of. We have big plans for for next year, and 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 then the other aspect too is is earlier this year we did a founder offsite for the K50 founders where we invited uh, some of our LPs, co-investors, and, and friends of K50, and it was is time for us to all get together after building this community for for a few years online, and so. When planning this, I really wanted to think about why are we making people travel and why are we gathering in, in person? We've found that with COVID, there are a lot of successful gatherings that can be done behind a computer screen. Uh, I think something things that are done really well are like podcast interviews or panels or um, presentations or ask me anything. Like those are, there's no, to me, there's not really a reason to get, to get together in person for that. When you get together in person, it's more about having an experience, experience and really gathering more on that human level um, and, and having fun. And then a lot of the business will come later. So we thought we were thinking outside the box and we wanted to do something in Latin America to celebrate our presence there. And so we landed on hosting it at a music festival called Estereo Picnic uh, in Bogota, Colombia, which is, is compared to the Coachella of Latin America. So I think when our founders saw that, they were like, wait, you guys are hosting your founder event at a music festival. But it ended up being being two days. We had multiple gatherings, which also was really great because people were able to connect uh, in different different environments. They were able to have conversations walking from one place to the next. But it felt less transactional where, oh, I have two hours to network. Let me try to talk to as many people as I can. You had this time and the space. Uh, and so... That was that was so super fun. It was definitely stressful planning an event in another country. Thankfully, I had an amazing colleague who was helping me uh, with that, uh, and and just the response was incredible. The founders, I think, especially that was one of the first big gatherings people went to uh, after being being um, stuck at home in, during COVID, and just the response was incredible. And the founders just had such a unique experience. They were able to connect, and it was really. It was just fun for them. And I think a lot of founders don't give themselves the space and are unfortunately not selfish to to take the time that they need, like we were talking about earlier, and they they don't give themselves the break. So we wanted to provide that for them while they also could feel like they were still doing work because they were still meeting other investors and founders, but able to have fun while while doing it. That sounds so fun. I also like really appreciate your you know, your take on experiences versus events. Because I think that like, as someone who goes to a lot of events in New York, what I started to realize, especially with the VC and founder events I was going to was like, okay, you show up and it's like a happy hour or it's like a whatever, like a big dinner. And then it's kind of like, who do I talk to? Like, who is who is everyone? Like, how do I get acquainted? Like, there's no good icebreakers or like prompts or things that make me think. And as someone who really values more intentional connection and experiences, I mean, I went to a Jewish private school in Manhattan and like had really small classes and like had a lot of critical thinking and, and learned in English and Hebrew. And so when I got even to the university experience where I was learning with, you know, 250 other people in the classroom, I just felt like there was such a lack of intentionality. There was just like, we're learning from a textbook. I could do this, you know, 
on my own time in my, in another place on the beach, right? Like, why do I have to be sitting in a classroom? So I think like your point about, you know, why are you getting people together, especially post pandemic is extremely important. And I, I like really commend you on taking that seriously and like reading the art of gathering and like, like, because I think that so often, you know, the, the idea of like having a conference or having a get together, like meeting up IRL is like so exciting, especially now, right? Because we haven't done a lot of it in the past two years, but I think it still is very important to be intentional because time is precious. And like, you don't want to be known as, you know, that organization that gets people together in person and wastes everyone's time. Cause like, you know, you want people to walk away and be like, wow, that was really meaningful. That was really nourishing to my soul. That was really inspiring and and made me motivated. And yeah, I think like when you think about it, it's like, what do you, like, why are you getting people together? What do you want them to walk away with? And what do you want them to feel? Exactly. Exactly. It's so true. And I think the wasting of people's time is something I take very seriously, especially working with founders. And the worst thing that could happen is I invite them to a workshop or an event and it's not worth their time because they'll likely never come back. And, and so exactly being totally intentional, I think, and I think there's a lot of ways to go about it. I love doing the small events, uh, though there is a time and a place for bigger events. Also, we, we just did an event for, New York during New York Tech Week and LAFCA, which is the Latin American Venture Capital Association. And so it was this amazing moment of at the intersection of US and Latin America. So we hosted an event and we we ended up having 1600 people express interest in the event, which was wild. We were not expecting that. And we unfortunately weren't able to to say yes to everyone. And we still had a line around the block to come. And so it just shows people are craving these experiences and the way that we were able to make it an experience is we really curated the people who were going to be in the room. So it was mostly founders and investors. And so people knew that it was um, going to be going to be something that a, a place where they could meet interesting people. I think even exactly what you were saying, you go to a happy hour, you don't know who you're going to talk to. Um, and so by able, being able to see the guest list, we use Partyful, which is a great new app where um, you could you could see who's, who's going to be there. But I mean, I've been to so many happy hours where you go alone to network and it's so awkward trying to talk to people and you have to put like put, put yourself into a group. And and I mean, I, I just don't really enjoy those anymore. And I would so much rather go to fewer events that are more intentional than be going to happy hours every week. And I do think it's it's different. I'm a bit later in my career and have met a lot of these people. So there is a time and a place, but I um I definitely and I think there are ways too to make happy hours and larger gatherings much more intentional. Also, just really making sure you're thinking about what's their experience from the second they arrive, the second they leave, and even before they arrive. What what's the language on the invitation? Are you sending them reminder emails? Are you telling them what to wear so they they feel comfortable? Um, and I think a follow up is also important. So there's so many different ways, and there's no right way to do this. But I, I, it's just you need to put thought into it. It's not if you just pick a venue and. And um, a time and invite people, it's, it's going to be a much different different experience if you're really being thoughtful about why you're gathering, who you're gathering, and and so on. For sure. For sure. Um, so I want to switch gears a little bit because, you know, as two 
women in tech, I think it's important to like really talk about the the uncomfortable things. Um, and, you know, I think that when we originally connected, one of the things that like I definitely had heard about the the VC industry as a whole and being a woman in it from partners of funds, from investors, like literally from like many people um, in the industry itself, which I'm not, uh, was that like it can be really hard just to be a woman in venture capital. Um, It can be hard to be a founder raising money. It can be hard to be, you know, a part of a fund or supporting a fund. And so I, I guess my question, you know, to start off for you is, kind of spicy, (laughs) but we're going to go there. What feedback have you gotten from a man that you've worked with or been in business with that you disagreed with? Mm -hmm. I I love this question. Uh, So when I was leaving a previous job, a, a piece of feedback I got, and it was really kind of the only constructive feedback I got was, when people talk about Jess, they say she's so nice and she does a great job. I wanted to say she does a great job and she's so nice. And I want your work to be, to be your good work to be the first thing people talk about, not how, how nice you are and how easy you are to work with. And I really took that to heart because I think feedback is, is a gift and it's very rare to get constructive feedback. Uh, and, and so kind of going into my new job, I, I tried to kind of put on a, a tougher face that was, um, came naturally to me and, Often I was the only woman in the room and you want to be taken seriously, especially stepping into this more leadership role. But really what I came to to realize is that there are a lot of people who are good at their job there. And maybe there aren't as many people who are, who are super nice and, and, and empathetic and, and um, easy to work with. And so, I mean, the more I've talked to past employers and people that I work with, that's something that always stands out to them. And so it's something I think I really need to lean into and especially in this community role of being in service of others and and networking and having to ask for help and having people do favors for me. And and it's really, and I think being nice and being has really been able to get me this far. And I think it's probably something a man might not have necessarily ever been been told um, that you're too nice. So so I think it that that's definitely something that that I've thought a lot about, and I and I and I understand what he was he was saying, and you want to put maybe put your work forward, but I think especially for my specific role, being being a nice person has gotten me to where I am today. I um I recently went to a comedy show where a comedian was making a joke. Why didn't anyone tell me that half the battle of of work is just having people like you? And I really think that's so true. People like you, people want to 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 collaborate and and work with and do favors for and 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 um introduce people to other people that they like and that are that they're kind and they know well well um will will not will not do anything to backfire and so that's definitely something that was took me a while to realize I disagreed with but um that's definitely the first thing that that comes to mind it's it's i mean first of all it's probably just him projecting because he's probably an asshole and he knows it. And he's probably like, oh my God, like she's so nice. Like, but is she good at her job? And she's good at her job? Oh my God. You know, it, feeling threatened. Um, that's it, one. But then the second thing is like, you're so right. Because I know from my own experience of like 
what I try to do is like I try to be helpful and I also am authentic. And that's what I've been told at least. And I think I believe it about myself. But the other week I like stepped away from um, – I was in Paris and I was with my team and we were on a team day. And I had this standing meeting with a conference organizer and – I had, you know, I had, I mentioned it to my team and I was like, hey, like, I think I need to like step away for half an hour. Is that okay? And my boss and my team kind of looked at me and they were like, um, yeah, sure. And they've taken calls during the day before. So I was kind of like not worried about it. And so I step into the other room. I get on the phone with this guy who's like organizing a conference. It's all about the future of work. And he's also in the SaaS industry, which is the industry I work in. And so I come back out of the meeting and I tell them, well, two things, two good things happen during that call. A, he now wants me to be, because of my great network, be an advisor for the conference, which is awesome. I love serving and, and helping out. And and B, he wants to invite me to Ascent, which is the largest SaaS conference in New York. And not only invite me as his guest, but he wants to invite me to the VIP dinner afterwards. And so that's a great, you know, that was a great opportunity for us to um, to network. But, you know, I think it just like kind of proved right there and then, like with my team, you know, it, it really does pay off to just be helpful and to like be yourself really and to and to take that time, even if it means, you know, 20 minutes away from your team, like it, it, it really can pay off. Exactly. Exactly. And I, and I think so much of, of being on small teams and a lot of marketing is the team. And when you're selling something or if in VC, when you're, when you're talking to founders, so much of, of, of the firm is the team. And so you want the team to be out there. You want the teams to be talking to people. And I mean, reputation really is, is everything. And just being to to talk to new people and exactly what you're saying, like you were doing something for yourself that benefits the team and everyone, everyone wins. Totally. And then, you know, I'm, I'm curious also, like, so, so you're, you took it as a reflection you were like, okay, like definitely not true. Um, like this is something that makes me stronger. What's a, another self-limiting or a self-limiting belief that you had to overcome, you know, so far, I guess, in your career? I think I, I hate conflict. <laughs> Probably goes in line with the nice thing, but uh, that's something that definitely I've, I've always avoided, especially in professional settings. I mean, the thought of arguing with someone or getting a fight just gives me anxiety thinking about it. And so realizing that one, constructive conflict is is good um, when, when done appropriately and speaking up and standing up for something you believe in or something that you believe is right or that um, is some, a wrong that you want to fix, like you're, you're only respected more. Um, and it, whether it's salary negotiations or asking um, for a bigger budget or disagreeing with something that the leadership team is doing, I think that's something that I've, it, it's always been really challenging for me to do. Uh, and but once once I do it, I'm realizing that okay, that wasn't that bad, and I'm only respected more more for speaking up. So that's definitely something, I, and I still obviously continue to to struggle with that. But I think just trying to tell myself, okay, you 
you can deal with conflict. It's okay. It's definitely something that, that I've gotten better at, but still, still need to work on. I read about this a couple of months ago, like, especially in, you know, innovative companies, like healthy conflict or like disagreements that what comes after, after the hump of it and like the feeling really, you know, uh, weird and, and uncomfortable is often creativity and, and innovation and like new ideas. So I think it's kind of sometimes just like a means to an end. Exactly. And I think it's definitely needing to be intentional about it and, and being very self-aware. Uh, I think people sometimes can get defensive or their tone can shift and, and that, that, that leaves that, that makes it less uh, constructive and more, and more feeling like maybe someone, someone feels attacked or someone feels um, then afraid to continue speaking up. And so I think it's something that people need to practice and, and I wish more organizations would, would train people on, on how to do it constructively because I definitely, I think, especially as a woman, often you, if you're talking to someone who's, who you're not as comfortable with a man, a much more senior man, and they, the, the tone can come off a little bit intimidating or, or scary. And then you just kind of condescending. Um, and, and then it might, you might just feel like, okay, well, this, this, this isn't going anywhere. And then you just, and sometimes you, you would just back down or just, or just, just, just get quiet because you're nervous or you're scared. And, and um, I th- I've seen that happen. It happens to me and I've seen that happen to many people. I and mean, obviously it happens to men as well, but I think especially as a woman um, being in that, being in the room of men and, and not really feeling like maybe you have an ally, it could be, it could be scary to, to speak up. And, and, uh, but I think even too, for people, if you're nervous to speak up in the meeting, you can still speak up after you can send the person a note or um, an email or, or, or a chat and just say, look, I've been thinking a lot about this and, this has um, been on my mind and I just wanted to bring it to your attention. I think that's totally valid as well because it is, and that's something I, I did only a couple of weeks ago. Um, and to, it doesn't need to be, it doesn't need to be in the moment. Um, but if it's something that's, that's bothering you, I think it's really important to, to express that and, and, and speak up. Um, and then once you maybe do it more behind the computer screen or behind the email, then you'll get more comfortable doing it uh, in the moment. That's a really great tip. Like, Remember that there's more than one way to communicate your concerns <laughs> and to find the right medium, I think, to communicate is is super important. And so so I guess on the same note, you know, what what advice would you give to a woman just starting out her career in such a male dominated industry besides that? Like, what do you wish you had had done sooner? I think finding other women who maybe are a few years older than you um, or find, find a woman whose job you want uh, and try one day and try to, to, to meet them and have them maybe as a mentor or just as someone in your network who you can learn from and, and go to. Uh, I think, especially if you're at a big company, maybe find someone within the company. But I, I think it's also really awesome to find people outside of your company. You get different perspectives. Um, and so if you see, if you're just start, if you're an investor just starting out in VC, maybe find a partner in another firm and tell them why you admire them. Uh, do your homework. Don't don't reach out blindly, just saying, "Hey, could we chat?" I think tell them why you want to chat. What 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 um what's the reason that you picked them? Um, uh, and and try it with a bunch of people. Hopefully, one will answer. 
uh, and just build those relationships um, or maybe even finding a peer who's doing similar work to you at, at another company. That's something that's been really valuable for me, just connecting with other, other heads of platform at other firms who are, who um, are women and, and we experience a lot of the same challenges, a lot of the same wins. And so having other people who, who get it, who I can lean on. And then really, as I think, as I've switched jobs and gone through my career, leaning on the women that I, that I used to work with and um, work for, I've had some amazing old managers who I still talk to and who I still will go to for advice and just really building out an army of, of support of women. Um, I think professionally, I think it's awesome to have your friends who you could go to also. But like for me, my friends, we all do very different work. Uh, and of course I'll, I'll lean on my close, my close group of, of girls, but having those, those women in my life who are mentors, whether it's peers or, or um, people I, I strive to be like one day, I think don't be afraid to just reach out on LinkedIn and ask people to meet. I have people reach out to me a lot and I always try to take, take the call. Uh, and, and people are generous with their time. So really find those people who you admire and try to connect with them. Even if they live halfway around the globe, that's the beauty of, of um, Zoom and 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 WhatsApp and and um, just don't be afraid to to ask. Yeah, for sure. I um, one of my favorite things to ask someone at the end of an informational interview, um, like the one that you're talking about, is who is someone else you think I should connect with based on our conversation and like what I'm interested in pursuing, and that kind of like warm intro also can really help. Um, because, you know, just in terms of familiarity, feeling comfortable with the person, like that person then feeling like, oh, because, you know, Jess suggested I meet with Danielle, maybe I'm more likely to enjoy that experience or be open to that experience. Um, that was just kind of like a really good small piece of advice that I learned early on. So, you know, if that helps anyone. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's a, something else that I told um, this amazing, amazing woman who was my intern a couple of years ago was she was still in college. And I said, keep a list of every single person that you're talking to because you're going to forget. And it seems obvious now, but LinkedIn isn't enough. You're going to have lots of people you connected with. And so just keep a list of their name, their LinkedIn, and like when you last spoke. And if you have any notes from the conversation, because hopefully you'll be doing this for many years to come. And it's really hard to keep track of everyone. Um, and, and when you do have those conversations, a thank you note goes a long way. And if someone if someone's giving you their time, just a casual email or text, thank you so much. I think the the beauty of thank you notes, people people don't do it as much as they used to, and that also will make you more memorable. That's really true. That's a really good point. I I need to do that more. I think I'm trying to find ways to automate my life. So maybe thank you notes is something I can maybe yeah. automate. Well, it's. It's funny you talk about automating because I think there's been a lot of talk about, I mean, automating community and making it more seamless and, oh, how, what, what can we automate? And I think just to remember for people building community is that community is not, it, it, it can't scale. In order to scale it, you need to do it manually. You need the human touch and, and then you can maybe figure out different tools to scale. But I think what makes strong communities um, really powerful is when you have the humans behind it and people, you have actual people answering the emails and actual people onboarding you, not just like a video of, Hey, welcome to our community. But really having a human who's going to welcome you and kind of be the face of, you can have several faces of, but I think 
as everyone's trying to build community driven businesses, it's, it's really important to have someone thinking about it from the human level and not just as robots, quote unquote, building community. Such a good point. And like, you never know what those small interactions can do for like either person. And I think that's like really important to also remember. It's like, Oh, the human touch is so important. Oh my gosh, I can't even. Okay, last question, then we're on to our speed round. Um, so what, okay, so as we talk about, I guess, you know, like the industry as a whole and like like how, I guess, tough it is for women to be who we are, what barriers do you think the industry, I guess, VC and like tech generally still has to overcome, um, you know, so far. Definitely more women as partners. I saw a stat recently, I think it was 15% of partners were women in 2021. And that's just not enough. You have lots of women who are now investors, um, lots of people on the platform see, and just there's still not enough women as partners. And, and, and ultimately, change can be grassroots, but it also comes from the top. So just more women in, um, in leadership roles. I love that. Yeah. It's really important. I think also like w- more women in tech generally, cause like, you know, the, I guess the, the counter argument to that is like, well, there aren't as many, you know, qualified women as there are qualified men. And it's like, well, there's a reason for that. It's like, we're not doing enough education. We're not doing enough outreach. We're not doing, you know, enough educating and and bringing women in who could potentially be partners one day, so that you know we can have a, a straighter track, a you know, and and just get more women in the pipeline. Definitely more women as partners. I saw a stat recently, I think it was 15% of partners were women in 2021. And that's just not enough. You have lots of women who are now investors, um, lots of people on the platform see, and just there's still not enough women as partners. And, and, and ultimately change can be grassroots, but it also comes from the top. So just more women in, um, in leadership roles. How do you leverage your network as a founder? Tell us one tip or trick or how should people manage? Yeah. As founders. Yeah. Don't be afraid to ask for help and stay organized with who's, who's on your list and who's in your network. Good one. All right. Virtual or IRL and why? This is an annoying answer, but it depends. Uh, It depends on why you're gathering. What's, what's the point? Is it, I think if it's, if it's um, the first time you're talking to someone, maybe you don't need a coffee, you don't need to meet IRL, you can hop on Zoom. But if you've met a bunch of times online, maybe it's time to meet IRL, uh, connect a little bit deeper. Uh, same for events. Uh, if it's if it's just a panel, maybe it could be IRL. If you're if you're really trying to connect people on that more human level um, and foster deeper connections, uh, IRL is IRL is the way to go. Love it. Okay, this is the third and final and my favorite question. What's your favorite meal to prepare when you have like no time in the morning or after work? I love this question. Uh, I love to cook. So I have so many of these, but my favorite is I make these peanut butter oatmeal energy balls with chocolate chips in them. And they're so good. And I always have them in my fridge and my friends always clear them out when they come over, clear my fridge out with them, but they're great. Just grab and go. You can have them for breakfast. You can have them as a snack and they just fit in a little plastic baggie. 
for when you're on the go. I love that. I can send you the recipe. Yeah, please. <laughs> I like need it. What's the what's the overall rest like the general recipe just for people who are listening? It's, yeah, it's um it's peanut butter, oatmeal, a little cinnamon, a little flaxseed, uh, a little vanilla, and chocolate chips. And honey and honey. That's what has it stick all together. But it's really good. I love that. Mine would probably be a smoothie. I love my protein smoothies. I get uh, Gainful um, every month. So it's like personalized protein powder. And then I put like, this is going to sound weird, but um, (laughs) I do frozen banana, um, blueberries, cauliflower, spinach, quarter of an avocado, nut milk, cinnamon, flax, chia, and did I say protein powder? Oh, sometimes almond butter also. Yeah. So that's usually making me hungry. (laughs) Well, it's almost four o'clock. Anyway, thank you so much for hanging out with the Women in Tech podcast to connect with more incredible women just like Jess who are in tech and live all around the world. Head to womenintechvip.com. That's womenintechvip.com. And make sure to say hello on social media at Women in Tech Show on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, you name it, we'll be there. And if you want to get in touch with Jess, you can find her on LinkedIn at Jessica Spivak Lowenstein or on Twitter at Jess Spivak. And I will see you in the next show. Bye. The Women in Tech podcast is hosted and produced by me, Esprit Devora, With help from Janice Geronimo. Edited by Corey Jennings. Production and voiceover by Adam Carroll. And music from Jay Huffman Live and Epidemic Sound. The Women in Tech podcast is a wearetech.fm production. Thank you for being a listener of the Women in Tech podcast. To support the podcast and cheer us on, become an MVL Most Valuable Listener, go to womenintech.love, linked in the show notes.